I think money is a tool. Like it's a real physical tool in the world meant to do great spiritual things, which is to create positive impact in the world. When I give you a loan or when I offer you a job so that you can make money or I help you build your business or I just give you money, you know, it's both very physical and it's also very spiritual because it's repairing the world. It's making your life and the world better. When I give a donation, it's a very physical thing and yet it's completely spiritual because I just elevated that money. I just transformed it transformed it from being something purely physical to being something that has a higher purpose. It's not just to serve me, it's to serve the world at large. It's to serve other people. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Lewis and Kyle Show, where we share interviews with the most interesting entrepreneurs, investors, and content creators that we can find. That's CEOs of major companies, authors of best-selling books, venture capitalists, and of course, a whole lot more. Today, we interview Yael Trouche. Yael has a super specific niche that might not immediately seem relevant to you, but of course, I think everyone can learn what from what she has to say. Yale's emphasis is on teaching Jewish women how to build a wealthy life. Her podcast, Jewish Money Matters, and her community, course community, God Wants You to Be Rich, help take teachings from very traditional, observant, orthodox Judaism and apply them to like modern struggles people have with money. It was a fascinating conversation. Again, a perspective I've never studied deeply. And I think you'll learn a lot from this conversation, just like I did, even if you are not Jewish or are not a a woman. Uh, We cover biblical perspectives on money, biblical perspectives on charity and gambling, common money mistakes the AL sees people make, her journey to becoming a content creator for this very specific group of people, and of course, a whole lot more. We also get pretty philosophical about what money is, like in the abstract, and I thought that part of the conversation was really fun. Uh, so that's all I have to say before I get started. Quick word from our sponsor, and then we'll get this party going. Enjoy. This episode is brought to you by our friends at VASA, the virtual assistant staffing agency. We hired our first virtual assistants from VASA to assist with our operations running the show back in June. But VASA is not just for podcast editors. If you need some extra hands to free up your time, let VASA help you with hiring for administrative, technical, and creative work. That's graphic design, cold callers, social media managers, sales reps, video editors, admin assistants, and more. Free up your time to focus on your highest impact work and learn more about VASA at vastaffing.agency or by clicking the link in the show notes to schedule a free strategy session with their team. Alrighty, back to the show. Gail, welcome to the Lewis and Kyle show. I'm excited to be chatting today. Oh my gosh, I'm excited to be chatting. Thank you so much for this invitation. Absolutely. I was just telling you before we had started that my sister needed some more Jewish content in her life and discovered your media. And I think she was uh, caught by the overlap, which is kind of like an interesting perspective that you, I don't know, I've not researched it too thoroughly, but it seems like you kind of own this unique perspective of the Jewish female money perspective. And of course, money is, this is a question I actually wanted to ask you about was some different financial advice, like how financial advice might differ from like a gendered mm-hmm. perspective, like why you have to, like what that adds, that specificity. Mm-hmm. But and checked it out and decided we should chat in depth. So um, I can't I can't get over it. You know, nothing is coincidence, right? Everything is divinely ordained. And the fact that your sister found me and she liked the content and shared it with you. I'm so happy. You should connect us privately, by the way. I'll, I'll send her a thank you. Definitely. Love to do that. So my, my first question for you is what is some kind of mainstream current financial advice that really goes in conflict to some of the traditional ancient advice mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. that you think is important? So like, where's some, where's some like the biggest tension? Sure, sure. Absolutely. So a big one is that notion of uh, pay yourself first, right? The richest man in Babylon, we know is like one of the oldest personal finance books. It's a classic. There's this notion that you pay yourself first and then you take care of everything else. And that's a really, really solid advice, except it contradicts what our tradition has taught us, the Jewish tradition has taught us with, for thousands of years. And our paradigm actually flips, flips that paradigm on its head. Basically, the, the normative personal finance you know, advice goes, pay yourself first, which means save, invest, spend, and then with whatever's left over, give because you're a generous, kind person, right? Like, why wouldn't you? If you have stuff, if you have, please be charitable, right? And so Jewish tradition says, no, 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 it doesn't work like that. We flip that on its head. We say you give first. So first we give, and that is a commandment. And it's something that we have practiced for thousands of years. And which, by the way, we have a promise that that is actually what leads to wealth. You give first. And then, of course, I did say it's sound financial advice. Of course, then you save, invest, you take care of yourself, then and then you spend. So it's like we flip the entire financial paradigm on its head. So I think that's notion number one, that I think it's contrary to you know, traditional advice, this idea of tithing. And not because I want to clarify that it's not because it's like some person is telling you you have to do that. And if not, God forbid, something bad's going to happen to you. None of that. It's because we understand that we are partners with the creator who is the source of all the money. So it's a very joyous thing. It's not a punitive thing. It's not a guilt thing. If I don't do it, none of that. It's, and, and I, I want to be clear because sometimes when, you know, the outside culture might see it some way and we really see it in a completely different way. It's because we're in a partnership where we know we're the source of our money and all of our blessings is coming from. Therefore, I have a responsibility to be a fiduciary agent to that partner of mine with a capital P being God. So that's number one. Then we have, you know, other ideas like right now, this is really coming to the fore fore because we've just had like the great resignation. And we, after the pandemic, we've experienced that people have really kind of really sat down and realized like, what do I really want to do with my life? Right? What am I here for? And this is something that from the beginning, Judaism has taught us, which is you don't go into a means of livelihood thinking, well, that's the one where the money is. You go into it because it's where your passion, your talent, like you have an aptitude and a tolerance for what that entails. And then of course, you make that your means of livelihood. But so, you know, sometimes we get so caught up in the, well, I would never be able to make money doing that. You know, I would never be able to make a living doing what I love. And Judaism says, no, 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 no. If you were given certain talents, certain interests, certain passions, certain tolerance and aptitude, that's where you need to go find your profit. It's not that we're saying the money's not important. God forbid, the money's super important, which is another notion that we could get into. But what we're saying is, it doesn't have to be a life and soul sucking activity. On the contrary, it's meant to be this thing that lights you up, that brings you joy, joy, that brings the best out of it. And yes, go make a profit out of it because you need to serve the world with that money. So I think those are two, you know, major ideas. And of course, I already kind of alluded to this, but the fact, the third one would be the one that I alluded to, which is that 
there is a creator who is the source of the money and meaning it's not your boss, it's not your client. And I get a lot of pushback from people when I say these things like, what do you mean it's not my client, it's not my boss? Like, really? It's not. I'm sorry. If you want to be limited by the laws of nature, go ahead. But I can tell you there's something above nature. Um, (laughs) And so, you know, that is something that is fundamental, that we have that trust in something higher and greater that gives us that ability that to do things above nature without, you know, with like going to these careers and going to these business endeavors, knowing that I can do things that might seem impossible, but yet they are not because I'm doing it all for the service of a higher cause because I'm here to serve because I'm here to give the world. So when you say, you know, this is the Jewish perspective on this, or this is the the biblical perspective on this, are you citing, you know, just the fuck? the five books? Or are you like diving into the commentaries and the oral tradition? Like what, oh, what a great what, what question. source of truth? When you yes. Say, yep. Like what the Jewish perspective is this? Is this, I forget the names of all the subsequent commentaries, but it's. Yeah. Uh, so that's a really. I've had the lecture many times. <laughs> so that's a really, really good really question. Back all, all the books. Torah is much more than the five books of Moses and it's all truth, right? But when I'm, what I'm giving you here is a perspective that comes straight from the five books of Moses with commentary. You can't understand the five books of Moses without the Talmud. And you can't, and a lot of the Talmud you can't grasp until you understand mystical concepts, right? So it's all one and together. And that's also fundamental for us to know in this conversation that if we don't understand that it's not Bible, it's Torah. And Torah is something that's all-encompassing, that it includes many, many layers. It's text. And then what's under that text? Then the whole thousands of years of Talmud. And then there's thousands of years of the mystical tradition that gives you even the deeper um, understanding. So when we put that all together, then we come to a really full picture of how to live our lives that is actually really spiritual and yet really, really practical. It's really grounded in reality and in the reality of, you know, I have to live a life. I have to be in this world, but it puts us on on this higher perspective where I can face challenges and I can face my day-to-day life knowing that there's meaning and there's purpose and that I'm here for a reason and that nothing is coincidence, right? And when I have a business meeting, it's not because I need that money. It's because, oh, I'm meant to have this discussion and there's something productive that's meant to come out of it, right? And so there, it's, it refines the way we interact with the world. It becomes very practical and also very spiritual at the same time by refining all these, you know, physical day-to-day interactions, let's say. I don't know if I want to call it advice or, or tenants or now the, uh, you know, stalker and the charitable, charitable giving is a, is a commandment, but is there just like a section, right, where it's just like, Jewish perspective on money or is it kind of sprinkled everywhere and you're trying to go everywhere and summarize it? Yeah. So, I mean, is there a section? There's sections in the code of Jewish law that talk about how to give, right? There's, there's, I guess the answer to your question, there is sprinkled all over, right? Because there's so many areas there, you know, but, um, yeah, so it's you have to take from different things depending on where we're, what we're tackling. You know, are we tackling the area of trust? So there are many, many, many texts just on developing trust specifically when it comes not just to your health, but also to your wealth, right? Then there's charity. And then you could go into the, what my money does say, says about it. You could go into the code of Jewish law, et cetera. And of course, 
There is, you know, in the text, in the five books of Moses, classic, right? But then there's so much. There's commentary on Psalms. They're like, again, there's just so many layers. So it's just for listeners to understand, it's not one thing. It's an all-encompassing thing that we find through and through in the different layers of interpretation and of meaning that the Torah really is. I want to zoom in on giving. What does Maimonides say about it? Because he's everything he says typically ends up being pretty fascinating. Oh, yeah, that's so good. So, well, in terms of the given, in terms of the Rambam, um, the Rambam gives us the kind of the order of priority of how giving should work. It kind of gives us that framework. Like we know the code of Jewish law already tells us, you know, that we have this is you have to tithe, right? And the code of Jewish law gives us those percentages. It's from 10% up to 20%. And it explains why up to 20%, right? We don't want to fall into the circumstance of needing, needing tzedakah, which is loosely translated as charity, but it really isn't. And then when it comes to the Rambam, for example, what I recall is that the Rambam will then tell us, okay, so who do you help first, right? Um, How do you know who to take care first? And also the Rambam comes and tells us, well, what are the ideal ways of giving? Is it really appropriate for you to give without a smile? Well, no, that's really never allowed. I mean, it's okay, you did it, but really that's a, and what about, you know, giving anonymously. Like there's there's like orders of the best way to give to a person so that you're preserving the dignity both of the receiver and of the giver. Um, and all those beautiful things are specified in the Rambam, but we could get super sidetracked if we go into all of them. Yeah, that's the uh, the danger of these types of conversations. Danger or exciting part, right? It's just like everything is infinitely deep. I know. It's I exciting. Wish the canon. It is. How do you end up in this position where you are choosing to kind of create a brand around this topic and speak publicly about it rather than just, you know, kind of more, I don't want to say selfishly, but just being a person who's interested in money and interested in Judaism and trying to yeah. get things out for yourself. Like, how do you become this public facing person where this is what you're doing now? I love this question because you just mentioned exactly like a point where I was in my life. Basically, I did all this for myself, right? Basically what happened, I had a brand where I had a blog years ago and I was really talking in that blog about the intersection between Judaism and everything in practical life that women like business, art, fashion, cooking, whatever you name it. And I used to have speaking engagements and all that. And during that process, I kept noticing and asking myself, well, what is the, what are the pain points that women have? What are people's struggling with. People are struggling with physical needs. And what were those needs? So I kept hearing, well, it's either in parenting or it's in marriage or it's in my relationship with food and body image or it's in my relationship with money. And I'm like, wow, these keep coming up. I'm an okay mother. I'm an okay wife. I mean, I don't know if I want to talk about parenting every day for the rest of my life. I don't know if I want to talk about marriage all the day for the rest of my life. I know nothing about food really other than I enjoy eating it. I don't really enjoy making it. But when it came to money, I'm like, oh, but I do have a lot of experience in this. Not only because I studied this, it's so it's it's interesting to me how all the dots connect and life, there are no random things, no coincidences. I always wondered like, why did I go to a degree in economics? And why really did I end up getting an MBA? And why did I work in investment banking? Do I really, did I really like these things? Not particularly, but then not only had I had that experience, on top of that, I had had my own personal challenges with my own money because despite all those experiences, I actually, I actually found that I was a 
hot mess when it came to managing my money. And I kept asking myself, well, shouldn't I know how to do this? Like you think, right? I could do it for companies. I could lend them millions and billions of dollars. I could do all these complex transactions. Why can't I manage my credit card bill, right? And so at some point in my life, I started looking and trying to see like, what is going on here? And the more personal finance books I read, the more I said, whoa, 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 one second. This is all based on Judaism. Like this all mindset work and this and then uh, wait, or it's contrary to Judaism. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I can't, I'm already, I'm an observant Jewish woman. How come I never connected the dots that my tradition already has told me how to relate to money and how to manage my money? And then once like that really opened up for me, I feel like it wasn't really my experience and my background and my knowledge in finance that really turned the needle and, you know, move the needle here. Like it, it definitely gave me a leg up, like the finance part I could get, but the understanding the spiritual, understanding the, the way my tradition informed how I should be thinking, speaking and behaving around money really, really like, really like impacted how you know, that change in my life. So I had gone through that personal experience and seeing that other women were struggling in this area of their lives and how it affected their marriages too. something that I had experienced that was a little bit becoming like this thing that was a sticking point in my marriage. I was like, I have to talk about this. And it wasn't easy, Louis. Like I was like so nervous at first because really who does that, right? Like who's talking about money, right? And, um, And you know what? The first time I did, I got an incredible reception and the, the questions were just flooding, you know, like I was like, oh, people really need this. And then slowly but surely I kept building it up until finally I realized, okay, so we have to shift gear, gears with the brand and everything has to be about this because this is something where I feel people are really coming to me now for help. And I feel like now I, I really can give them the help. It was a long journey, but to me, it's fascinating because it really shows that business is, you know, it's not, it doesn't happen overnight. You have to hear the clues and you have to hear what your audience wants and needs, right? And you have to tune in to how that matches up with who you are and your own experiences and your own challenges. And then boom, it's like magic happens. Yeah, I love that path. I had a similar realization, not in terms of like content creator journey per se, but just trying to solve just a super, what I perceived as a modern problem, right? Mm-hmm. That's usually the fallacy. But what I perceive to be a modern problem, just like a pretty generic, like, you know, social media, it's pretty distracting. It's making it harder to get my work done. So then you seek out kind of like the modern books to this. And then you realize everything they're saying is just like recombines, maybe slightly recontextualized or, you know, they, they swap out like the proper nouns, right? Instead of like X thing for the past, that was the, the cause of this poor psychological condition. It's just the new thing. And, but all the relationships are the same. I'm speaking very vaguely, but like deep work by Cal Newport. I wrote an essay, maybe I can share with you at some point, how that book is basically just like, how like just the practice of Shabbat basically renders that whole book kind of like irrelevant. Right. You just like really dive into what Shabbat says. And that was a big, I don't know if in terms of like what I acted on, but just like that kind of that those experiences, the more you kind of have these like accidental missing something obvious, right? Like there's probably a better way to answer the question. The more you just like get excited about the, like the tradition in general or just like the, oh yeah, of course, 
Right. And you start seeing, oh, wait, there's truth here. Truth is eternal. Truth doesn't change. That's why it doesn't change. That's why it's truth. That makes sense. The spiritual side of money, and it's kind of funny that I didn't think to ask about this before we started recording, but then I added it to my kind of outline. But we've done a lot of episodes on this show, kind of about money in a very abstract way, because we've done a lot of crypto episodes, which lead to in like, you know, what is money in terms of like the modern sense? What is like the purpose of money? Is money just like stored energy? Is money, as you might say, like this divine tool for people to do things in the world? Like, what is your kind of most abstract definition of money? Hmm. And then how do you think like, and this is kind of getting into a question of like, do you think like modern money is somehow like corrupted because of, this is kind of like the whole crypto debate a little bit, but I'll, I'll repeat the original question. Like, what is your most abstract definition of money? So I don't know. It's, I'm not going to right. I, I can't give you an abstract definition of money because I don't think there's an abstract definition of money. I think abstract. It, I think money is a tool. Like it's a real, physical tool in the world meant to do great spiritual things, which is to create positive impact in the world. When I give you a loan, or when I offer you a job so that you can make money, or I help you build your business, or I just give you money, you know, it's both very physical and it's also very spiritual because it's repairing the world. It's making your life and the world better. When I give a donation, it's a very physical thing, and yet it's completely spiritual because I just elevated that money. I just transformed it transformed it from being something purely physical to being something that has a higher purpose. It's not just to serve me, it's to serve the world at large. It's to serve other people. So it's a physical tool. It's not just physical, it's both. It's physical and spiritual. Just like I am not a physical entity only, I am matter and spirit. I am body and soul. I'm both. And you can't separate one from the other. Um, as long as I'm here in this world, I will continue to be both. The, the, the moment that I just become spirit and I'm not here, right? So so money is both spiritual and physical. So the, the, the answer to that question is money is a tool. It's a physical tool that serves a spiritual purpose. If it doesn't, then of course, it go, it becomes very crass and very physical, just like anything in the world, right? Most areas in the world, we can, most things we can elevate. There are things in the world that we can't touch that I do can elevate, right? Like we can't eat pig. Like there's, it's not, you can't elevate that. There's no, it's, it's tied. It's spiritually tied. But most areas in life that we navigate are amazing because we can actually elevate them or God forbid, if we use them in the wrong way, we can downgrade them, right? right? So money, it's the same thing, right? We can use it to do amazing things. There's nothing inherently good or bad with the money. It's completely neutral. These tools are completely neutral. You can use them for good or you can use them for the opposite of good, right? And most things around us and most resources that God gives us are completely neutral. I could use my creativity for incredible things or I could use it to destroy, right? So same thing. I could take a hammer and I could build a house and a hospital or I could destroy. Right. Um, so the same thing with money. I guess sort of what I'm getting at or curious about is the way money's kind of in its current iteration. Let's say like in the United States, there's you know, a small group of people that get to make these decisions that affect the money supply and can kind of like mm -hmm. exert maybe I don't want to say I don't know if it's unearned or just maybe an undemocratic. Just they can, can change the way. Right. The, the the money system works. They can you know inflate it arbitrarily. They can kind of do all these all these things. Whereas I don't really have the basis of comparison for let's call it like the ancient, for lack of better terms, like 
how did money kind of emanate in terms of like a locally circulated currency? And like, was that more like objective? There's kind of like a, a school of thought in like the, the Bitcoin world where it's like when your money is controlled by someone in an unpredictable way, right? When the supply schedule, if you will, is just not set or predictable, that leads people to be more like short-term thinking. They're not as willing to invest in the future. And that leads to like a host of negative social consequences because everyone's kind of, again, not willing to make these long investments because of the uncertainty. Yeah, no, I, I hear you and I hear you. And my answer, my answer to that is, again, we can stay limited in that very narrow reality of thinking, well, if I work under the radar or under a big industry, under a big stock market investors, and I do my own thing, right, that it's not it's not dictated by the government and they can't control it and it's not dictated by the stock market investors and all that, then I'm going to be fine. It's just as much a fallacy as if I just invest in the stock market and if I just follow this advice, then I'm going to be fine. They're all a fallacy because really, really, they're all saying I just depend on one agent, the agent being my wits, the agent being the investors, the agent being the crypto market, the agent being the stock market, whatever it might be. And that's what we're trying to get at here for people to understand you're not tied to the agent. Yes, you have to operate within the rules of nature. Okay, so I have to do this and I have to actually charge my client and I have to do these things and I have to invest in the stock market. And yes, if I have some money and I want to put into crypto, great, right? I'm not saying don't do those things, but don't delude yourself. The trap is for a person to think that that's where the money is. That's who's giving them the money right? It's this new underground economy that's going to give me my money. Or it's this known, well-established economy that will give me my money if I stick to those rules. None of that. It's all false. It's all fallacy. And we can live in that reality or we can rise above it. And when we rise above it, we live a much tranquil life, <laughs> like a much, much tranquil life. Because everybody knows that you're, we're subconsciously, we all know that we're relying on something that it's fallible. Like it's not foolproof. And so that's, that's the idea. We have to understand there's only one thing that is foolproof. That is the creator of all those markets. Who do you think actually gave somebody the ingenuity to create the, to create the blockchain, right? Like who's putting all these things in the world? Who's, who's making the politicians do this and do that? And the, and, and the big stock market investors do this or do that, right? It's all a fallacy. We think it's them. Everybody's just an agent of the one who's orchestrating it all. So we can live like that or we can say, oh, what an opportunity God has given me. I could actually invest in crypto. That's so awesome. But the minute I think, oh, that's where it's at, like that, that I really, then I'm already, I'm already losing. I'm already losing because I'm already losing sleep, by the way, right? I'm already living in a state where I can be tranquil, where I can enjoy higher values, where I can be at peace with my family because I think if I don't go to this meeting or if I don't put this money in this new coin or if I don't invest in this stock, right? Oh, I'm going to miss out. No, 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 no. It's a very fine line and I'm not suggesting it's easy to navigate. It takes a lot of intellectual work to get to that emotional state where we can be in this world and be above this world and not have to panic about stock market or cryptocurrency or whatever the latest thing is, right? And just be in it and understand, but still be above it. A similar question to crypto or I guess similarly associated topics 
it is gambling. I don't know if that's mm. a phone, but yeah. not a big deal. What does the what's the Jewish perspective on gambling? Yeah, so actually gambling I just some backgammon right before we started. <laughs> so gambling is a bit of a problem. A couple, couple cents a checker. Yeah. So gambling is a bit of a problem for the same idea, right? Because the gambler is trusting that it's like this luck or this thing, this wit that's going to get them the money. In fact, to the extent that really a gambler is not even, I don't, I don't think a gambler is even allowed to be a witness. I mean, there's a lot of rules the Rambam talks about regarding gambling, but in general, it's considered Number one, it's addictive and and it shows a lack of trust. Again, it shows that you don't, the person doesn't trust and understand that the money is from God. And therefore we have to take uh, risks and do, you know, things that are above and beyond the natural things just to make another buck kind of thing. So yeah, not, 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 not advisable. <laughs> do you think there's like a, I mean, I'm from Las Vegas, so I definitely have some some motivated reasoning. You could say, right uh, to want to find angle angle my way into something being uh, allowable, but something like sports betting, for example, if if it's not from the let's call it the, the perspective of like I'm doing this so that I can afford to get by. Right. Good point. I, yes, yes, good point. Entertainment. Yes, yes. There is something I remember reading something that if it's for entertainment purposes, right, that you really are not doing this. Then there is some leniency well, there. Strategy. Exactly, exactly, exactly. But there is a lot of caution uh, regarding gambling. So what one one has to know. So it's not like clear cut law, like no, 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 this is not allowed. But it's not advisable because it could lead you in a path that you're really kind of already losing that sight of the higher perspective. But uh, there is that leniency for entertainment if that's what entertains people, right? Like could be going to Vegas with a friend to the casino or sports gambling or whatever. But we, you know, we also, it's like anything, right? Like, it's like drinking. Like, it's not to say that we don't drink, but it's to say, like, what you have to know that it could be a slippery slope also depends on who you are. So a person has to constantly, you know, it, a lot of this is knowing that you're in a relationship with your creator and also how does that impact your relationship with self, right? Like you have to know yourself. You have to know what are the needs of your soul. And if what I'm doing is something that really feeds me and nurtures me and puts me in the right path. And it might be that it does. It might be that this is what I need at this moment to nurture this relationship with this friend or with this colleague, right? So if there are very areas in life that are black or white, and I would say almost none. Judaism is never about the black or the white. There is tons of gray area. Yeah, it's the, uh, the religion of questions. You're talking about, you know, finding kind of a sweet spot with, with gambling and, all, and drinking, right? It's all about like, what's the right amounts before it's like diminishing returns or worse than diminishing returns. The perspective on, I guess, like, one of the kind of open questions that always every person has their opinion on is like, you know, enough money, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what does Judaism say about, like, is there like a point where you, like a stopping point? Is that like measured in some other way? Because again, it's not like criminalize the institution of, or like create stigma against wanting to accumulate wealth because again, it's a tool. Is it kind of like, well, more is better as long as you're continuing to do good? Or does it say like at a certain point, if your needs are met, then just like, go focus on doing this other thing and you don't really need to think about money. Like, is it kind of an infinite game? 
Right. That's it's such a good question. I love that question. So there's a few ways that we could tackle this. Number one, I think every person and this Judaism would tell us all that we have to have mentors. We have to have people that know us and care about us and can help us objectively see when am I doing more than what I really should be doing, right? And if we're talking about the money game, like when am I getting to a, when am I at a point where I'm just working for work's sake and sacrificing my relationships and my family and just for the money's sake, right? But if a person is productive and capable and interested and can tolerate and can manage a certain amount of work, we're always meant to be productive. You know, in Judaism, we don't really believe in retiring, right? It's no such thing as I turn 65 and I go play golf. No, no, no. Like you weren't put on this earth just to serve yourself. Nothing wrong with playing golf, but you got to do something. And maybe it's not working in the same scale. And maybe you're not running your business at full capacity or handing things over, but you have to get involved in productive things. So Is there an answer to how much money is enough? Absolutely not. But there's also the idea of, well, we always have to be content with what we have. Now, having said that, we also have to be aware that the money is infinite. God has enough money to go around and has enough children to go around and all the material blessings has plenty to go around. So we should never limit ourselves. We should never actually say, oh, I'm just going to ask for my needs. I'm just going to ask for just enough to come. No, 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 no. God has plenty more. If you feel like you really need more to fulfill your mission in the world, please, by all means, Judaism says ask. There's nothing wrong with asking and demanding of God that he, he provides you above and beyond your needs, right? So I just want to make sure that we understand that it's not the whole notion of enough, you know, just like I don't say, well, I just want just enough water to wash these dishes and just enough water to take a shower. No, no, no. I want all plenty of water, right? And I want plenty of creativity, right? I, I want plenty of all the blessings and all the resources. I could also approach money in the same way. Like I want plenty of it. There's no shame in it. There's no, but again, we have to also know ourselves and have mentors tell us, oh, well, this might be deviating me from, you know, fulfilling what I want to fulfill. And it's taking me on the opposite direction. Again, we have to always know ourselves. Is it making me arrogant? Is it making me be less of a giver? Hopefully it's not. And if you're doing what you need to be doing, then please, by all means, go make all the money and be super charitable and give your children the education that you want and help your community and do all of it, right? No shame. Money is not a vice in Judaism. There's no such thing as, you know, poor is, you know, the way to be and it's more spiritually higher. There's no such thing. That's not what we believe. Let's do a few rapid fire questions here. Mm -hmm. Kyle, whenever he has the chance, likes to find a way to tie conversations to real estate. Is there, because, you know, money is infinite and kind of with you on that, right? It's this easy come, easy go. There's just, if we go back to like the, the human perspective, there's some roughly trillions of dollars kind of transacted and you know, kind of the metaphors you just like reach your hand up and throw yourself into that stream of commerce right uh, but something more finite is just like land right that's kind of harder to make that same argument what right. is the perspective on i guess real estate in general property ownership is that like an inherent good evil neutral like what what's the high level on on that piece of the, the puzzle never good or evil there's never a good it's, it's neutral always neutral and it's actually probably very smart to invest in real estate i'm a big real estate fa- fan in general and by the way i just remember hearing many many times sages like the lubavitcher rebbe used to be very much 
pro people investing in real estate rather than trading stocks, which is something that could be not investing in the stock market, being traders, because that's something that really puts you in an emotional turmoil, whereas real estate is more, much more of a solid kind of like long-term type of deal. So again, a person, there's nothing inherently good or bad in any of this. You just have to know how you're using it. And for some people, real estate really attracts them. Like I know my husband, for example, is very into real estate. His brain is made for that, right? Some of us are not. Some of us like get the stock market much better. Or some of us are into things like crypto. Or some of us are just, you know, just like to invest in businesses. That's what fuels us up. It doesn't matter. You have to know your inclination, but you have to elevate whatever that is. Do it for good. Elevate it. Do it mindfully and purposefully. There's nothing wrong with it. No good or evil. Yeah, speaking of the Rebbe, I'm forgetting the, the tradition of the story, but what was the, the gist of the, the Rebbe in dollars? Because I know that was a big thing. Yeah, yeah. So the piece of the story you're referencing is that the Lubavitcher Rebbe used to give people dollars whenever people came to meet with him. He would also give coins to children. So on many occasions, it was coins, it was dollars. And the idea is that when two people meet, some a third person should always benefit. When a Jew meets with another person, it shouldn't just be for the benefit of those two people. It's how are we changing the world? What are we doing? So in representation of that, whenever the Rebbe met somebody and that person came to the Rebbe for a blessing or for some spiritual guidance or for some business guidance or whatever it might be, now somebody else has to benefit. So here's a dollar for charity so that now you can go with all this positive energy out of this meeting and go help somebody else. So that is the idea behind the dollar. So dollars is to go change the world because that's what we're here for. I love that. It's an awesome story. Mm. What do you, uh, again, I think with the internet, right, you can be pretty laser focused on just serving your specific group of people. I don't have any demographic data religious wise for their listeners to this podcast, but do you think that, you know, all people, all religions, everything we've said here is relevant? Do they have like, is there kind of a, I don't want to say more neutral, but like, what do you, say to the non-Jewish listener of this podcast who's like super confused, like gonna, in terms of like keeping things practical, right? Like sure. it's not the most practical thing for them to do to like dive into a whole new body of wisdom sure. and try to like just navigate all the confusing stuff that's not related to money. Like what's like, and I don't want to say neutral because I do think like Judaism in a lot of ways is neutral, but something let's say, let's go with unbranded. Yeah, like universal. Affiliated. Right. Sure. And I and I do think that these teachings are very universal. Of course, I apply them to my life in a very you know distinct way. But that for 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 the listener who's listening and say, well, I don't have that tradition. That's not my faith. Well, I you know what? Just knowing that there is a creator that is sustaining you every millisecond of your life, and that put you here for a mission and a, a purpose. Like if Lewis and I were here today having this conversation, is not random, right? It's because God wants us to have it. So just having that awareness, listeners, as you're going out into your work day, into your parenting day, into everything that you do every day, like oh my goodness, like nothing is coincidence. Every interaction is meant to be meaningful. There's purpose. Even my minor challenges are meant to be transformed, right? There's something I need to learn from this. Having that can totally change your day and can totally change your relationships. And that is Judaism, but it's also something universal that everybody can hold on to, especially in a world that is so chaotic and is trying to kind of like... 
make us so me-centered that we almost like forget how to live meaningfully because we became so self become so self-focused that we forget that we're not just here for ourselves, but we're here because somebody, something greater than us wants us and needs us here. And that can shift an entire day. Like when we stop being so consumed with our needs and be more preoccupied with what does the world need from me? What am I here to do for the world? That can change everything, including your ability to make money. What do you do personally or recommend either or for kind of continuing to remind yourself of those things? Because, you know, it's, I don't say it's cliche or it's obvious, but we all sort of know that, but don't remember to do that. Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, have those thoughts. Well, here's where the, like we said before, here's where the Judaism comes into my life, right? There are practical things every day that I do to keep me in that mental zone, right? I wake up every morning and I say a special prayer. Then I go about my day and right after my kids go out of school, I pray. I also learn a lot. Like a lot of Judaism is intellectual because the intellect then gives birth to the emotions. So for me to stay in that emotional calm place, right? I also have to intellectually learn about trust and all that. But there, my day, things like Shabbat that you mentioned before, it's not just my day, it's my week. The rhythm of my week puts me in that state where I could say I can let go of everything else because I trust that the creator is going to sustain me. I don't have to work on Saturday and I'm still going to make the same amount of money, right? So there are, there, Judaism has designed a way of life that in a way makes sure for lack of a better day, but ensures that you are in that state of life, right? So there definitely is the ritual and the order of life is not random. It's meant to help you advance and progress in that mindset. But it's not to say that if you don't, if those are not your rituals or your day-to-day structure, right? That you can still live with that presence. So however way you want to practice it, if it's through mindfulness, if it's through prayer, if it's through gratitude lists, if it's through disconnecting from technology from time to time, just do whatever you can to tap into that. And everybody has access. Or you can obviously open Jewish texts as well, please. Or you can listen to my podcast, you know? But yeah, I think it's for everybody. But of course, for me on a personal, very personal level, I have rituals and practices throughout my day and my weeks and my year cycle that keep me there. We got some big year cycle ones coming up pretty soon, right? Or are we in the middle of them? I got to check my Jewish calendar, but the year. Yeah, Rosh Hashanah. Right. The new year is coming up next Monday. Exactly. Yes, exactly. And that's when we actually ask for all the material blessings for the year. So yes, it's one of the holy, the the whole period between Rosh Hashanah and Kippur is super, super holy. And what's interesting in Judaism, again, it's about the here and now the world. What are we doing in the world? We're asking for material blessings, right? So people think, oh, it's, no, it's not. Spirituality is here. It's in the physicality. So we come to these high holidays, right? But really during those 10 days, we're asking God to bless us with all of our physical needs. So it's, again, it's counterintuitive and it's a paradox, but Judaism is always in that paradox because it's about being here in the world with the physical resources, all of them, the money, the health, the the relationships, all of them, but being also in a spiritual state at the same time. You make a lot of resources as well. What should people will check out if they're interested in what you have to say and want a lot more than we were able to get to? Amazing. So the podcast is a great place to find me. And uh, we dive into also all the practical things like 
investing and saving and credit cards and all the good stuff, right? So Jewish Money Matters podcast. If anybody is having issues in terms of their marriage and their money, I have a really good tip um, sheet about the money date. I always like to tell people to try to practice money date and people are like, well, how do I do that? Right. So I've put together 10 tips for money date success and you can get those at yaeltrush.com forward slash money date. And those are completely free. I give you tips. I give you even scripts to, you know, kind of get along with your spouse on those money dates. And you can also join the wait list to my signature course, God Wants You to Be Rich, and that you'll find at yaeltrush.com. Um, and I also have a course out in the market. We just opened it, Recession Proof Your Life. So it's all the practical tools. We talk about all the financial tools to really become recession proof, but it's always grounded in that fundamental element of trust that we all have to have, whether we're Jewish or not Jewish, right? Knowing where all this is coming from, from the source capital S. So that is yaeltrush.com forward slash recession proof. Awesome. Well, this has been a blast. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Louis. This was great. That's going to close out this conversation with Yael Trush. Three takeaways for me, and then we're going to move on to the next thing, all of us. Uh, first takeaway is I just think, you know, more often than not, you're going to find richer, deeper wisdom from super ancient texts that have survived the test of time than you will from, you know, today's hot pop nonfiction book about personal finance. Uh, super interesting to see the themes that are just you know, resonating as true throughout history rather than like what someone today has to say about something. So definitely would encourage you to challenge yourself to read something older and more time tested. Second takeaway is just how infinitely deep the rabbit hole goes when you study like the canon of the major religions and whether or not, you know, again, you're a believer, you have a religious affiliation, but I think just from like an intellectual curiosity, just studying like the major figures through history and, and why they uh, the major figures through the religion's history, like Maimonides, for example, the Rambam. And it's so fascinating, like all these different people who are just so prolific in their times and all the things they say and kind of connecting the dots between like the developments of the, again, just all the texts that are associated with the religion over time. So it's just like another one of those things that like every time I'm exposed to it, I'm like, wow, this is so fascinating and uh, I just want to go deeper on it. Uh, but of course, the danger is that it goes pretty much infinitely deep. I mean, there are people who spend literally their entire lives doing nothing but studying this stuff and feel like they hardly understand any of it or have scratched the surface on what there is to know or think about or ponder. Uh, but just so interesting. Uh, and then third is just how much enthusiasm Yale had. I was you know, listening back to this when writing down these takeaways and, and all that stuff, and she just had so much energy. Uh, so I'd say that Yale's a good go-to, not just to learn about money from a Jewish perspective, but also for a pump-up. I mean, she's so into this topic, and I think it's all it's a good aspiration to find the thing for you that is brings that level of energy out of you to talk about. Uh, that's it for me for this episode. Subscribe to know about the next one. Should be within a week or two. And uh, check out Yale's content. There's a lot of good stuff there. That's it. Thanks for listening. You're awesome. Have a great day.